On this show, we talk about how a Tesla Model S recently was filmed doing some water aerobics, how Blue Origin's New Shepard launched its biggest mission yet, and I've got another Steven Rance. This time it's with Adobe. Plus, SP's back with another edition of his Space Symposium. This and more in this week's show. I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom. Part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnerGeek.com show. Here we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gonna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to episode 280, Cold Medicine of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and I'm pleased to say that Chris Farrell is here today. Or am I just an optical illusion? And also, rounding off the round table is none other than Wing. Hey, say hi, Wing. We hate you, Stephen. That, by the way, is SP, if you're checking this out for the first time. That was a callback for you long-term GunnaGeek.com show viewers and listeners as a way, way toss back. But if you are checking this out for the first time today, we are here to talk about some of the latest happenings out of the world of geek, geek news. And also today we're going to have a special segment from Stargate Pioneer, where Stargate Pioneer is going to go ahead and talk to us all about a symposium in space. Is that what your segment Mm. is? It's an actual symposium in space? I might be in space. I might not be in space. That's up for you to decide. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get there after we do the news. Steven Rance, Steven Rance. It's another patented Steven Rance. Yeah. I don't have I'm a jingle excited. for it, so I thought I would I would make Where's one up the there. Jazz hands. I mean, you need like the white coated sparkly gloves. That's right. This is time for another patented Steven Rance. For some weird reason, he likes to pick news articles where he rants, and also he likes to talk about himself in the third person. And that's exactly what's gonna happen this week with Steven's news. Yes, this one comes out of the world of Adobe. For those of you not familiar with Adobe, they are a very, very powerful company. The company has all sorts of different products that are very, very popular within the various industries, like, for example, Photoshop. You heard the term Photoshop that? Yeah, they're talking about an actual product, even though it's now turned into a verb. Photoshop is actually a product made by Adobe. Same thing with something called Premiere. If you're looking in the Windows side of things, you're probably, if you lean towards the more professional line of things, using Premiere Pro. That is their video editor. But 
If you are a photographer, you might even use a piece of software called Lightroom. And if you are just a photographer, you might be familiar with Adobe's photography plan. Yes, Adobe operates off of a subscription model. And traditionally, these apps are very expensive. Like, you know, if you want an app, you pay per app about 20 bucks a month. I think it's like $19.99 US, but you can get all of them in one, one bundle for like 50 bucks a month or something like that. But the photographers for a very long time have been able to get Photoshop and Lightroom for a discounted price at $9.99 US per month. I actually subscribed to this for a while because all I needed was Photoshop and it was cheaper than buying the individual Photoshop app. It was better to buy the Lightroom or the photo photography plan at $9.99 a month. So it was a heck of a bundle and a lot of photographers have done this because it's made the Adobe products quite quite within their reach compared to some of the other prices that are in there if you buy the other well, buy rent the other Adobe apps. Well, guess what? Chicken butt. Oh my seriously. This past week, Adobe decided to increase the plan from $9.99. Kind of. Sort of. Not hmm. officially. So what happened was people started to notice that when they were looking at the, the US plan listings there, the photography plan went from $9.99 to a whopping $19.99. Yes, it pretty much doubled the price from their previous price of $9.99. And so people started to look and, you know, through the love of international market, we were able to see that it was only the US plan that was listed as increasing to $19.99. But here's the weird thing, was because of the fact that this was happening, people were wondering, well, why exactly is the difference, or what is the difference between US price point and other international price point? And a bunch of articles were written on a bunch of different websites to which Adobe issued this statement. From time to time, we run tests on adobe.com, which cover a range of items, including plan options, that may or may not be presented to all visitors to adobe.com. We are currently running a number of tests on adobe.com. The plan can be purchased at, and then they provided a link, via phone or via major retailers, to which they actually gave a link where you could go and buy it for $9.99 per month, even though their website listed it as $19.99. So basically, they decided to go, let's put it on for $19.99 and See what happens. That's the moral of the story out of this. And then they still heck, offered heck another test. One. I know it's a really weird thing to be like, yeah, we're running a test. We want to, to test this out. What do you think is going to be the result of that? People are going to go, you know what? I agree. Adobe should take double my money. <laughs> like, come on. This is a ridiculous excuse. I think somebody who has plan options didn't get in touch with people who run the website. And that's what went wrong here. I think there is a very clear direction to increase the price price plan of this. And so they they ended up um, just making a mistake. That's my guess here. And then for now, they're like, OK, well, you can go ahead and get it for nine ninety nine until we're ready to to roll this out internationally. Really weird situation last week. And when I saw this, I knew I had to talk about it this week because a lot of people don't like Adobe's subscription model. I get a lot of places have gone to subscription model. Fair enough. Um, the Adobe really does do their products pretty darn well 
if you try to find comparables to any of the Adobe products, you know, there might be some that are, are pretty close, but they just they just don't meet it entirely. So uh, they can really do what they want. And I, I will be very surprised if we don't end up seeing this at 1999 regular by the end of the year. Oh, yeah. They, they, they already said what they're going to do right here. If you're using Adobe for these two services, just get prepared because the price is changing this test. Yeah, it's it's a test so that they can see whether people will stomach the change. So vote with your wallet. If you don't like it, find something else. The problem is there's not much that's better. No. And that's why, you know, I mentioned it. I actually did a review on here. I uh, switched a few years back to Affinity Photo. And, you know, yes, there are some shortcomings compared to Adobe Photoshop. But for me as a hobbyist, it's actually worked really darn well. I've I've been very happy with it. It's done pretty much everything that I needed. And I felt so confident in it that a few months back, I ended up it was on sale, but I bought their Illustrator version, Adobe or uh, Affinity Designer, and I've been playing with that a little bit. And you know what? Like uh, I, I do use Adobe Creative Cloud at work because obviously for business, businesses are generally going to pay for that sort of thing. And um, there are elements that I do miss of the Affinity suite. But yeah, no, I am pretty confident in saying like Affinity Affinity Photo has been one of the best comparable to a fo- Adobe Photoshop, but it's still it fall short of Adobe Photoshop. What happens when you take a screenshot of the pricing plans and Photoshop how much they are and then claim that's what the website says when you send it back to Adobe for the price matching? Well, then they'll take your screenshot and add an extra nine on there just to spite you. So 99 cents instead of nine cents. That's still a bargain. Yeah. An extra couple of nines, as many as they need to make it. So nine ninety nine, we're back there again. I think people are okay with that. Well, yeah. you sure have solved this problem, Stargate Pioneer. People <laughs> should cut you a check right now. <laughs> there's For a what? consulting fee. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a consulting fee. Are you going to go ahead and ask me for free advice so that you can then turn around and charge that advice to somebody else for a consulting fee? Is that what you're going to do? I mean, that, that what better business model is there? Yeah, it would, that would be really silly to go and and try have a consulting business and then go to a free forum to ask for feedback so that you could go ahead and increase your documents that you turn around and sell for consulting fees. That would be absolutely crazy to go and do that. I can't think of a single industry that would do that. You're, you're about to make Ask the Consulting Coach a show is what I'm hearing here. You guys are going to be consulting coaches and teach people how they can be consultants. Not to perform consulting. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've already said that people can't afford my consulting fee. It's like $50,000 an hour. People can't afford that. Thanks, Tony Stark. All right. Well, while we are all sitting there scratching our head at Stargate Pioneer's $3 million an hour consulting fee, uh, what's going on with flooded Teslas? What? So I, I kind of... I go through periods where I enjoy reading up on electric vehicles, specifically Tesla's. It kind of intrigues me how quickly they innovate and things like that. And the Tesla community is very interesting. They get really up in arms and excited about things that normally wouldn't excite you. And then other times angry about things that I don't understand. But this time it was something that just kind of made me smile a little bit is yeah. So there's been flooding going on. They think it's in Texas where this video was taken. There's a Tesla model S that was basically doing something you should never do, which is trying to drive through floods. And this was in pretty high water, yet surprisingly, the Tesla Model S just drove all the way through. So why does it happen? 
Well, people had reached out and asked Elon Musk that before because in 20, excuse me, 2016, there's a Tesla Model S that made the news because how they put it was it was practically floating like a boat while passing through a tunnel in Kazakhstan. Elon Musk had commented back then saying that while Tesla doesn't recommend this, the Model S floats well enough to turn into a boat for short periods of time, thrust is via wheel rotation. He also later followed up and said this is partly due to the Model S's drive units and batteries being sealed. So it's kind of cool that in the event of an emergency, if you had absolutely no choice, it seems like some of these Tesla vehicles and while they're sedans without great ground clearance can kind of float temporarily, which is interesting, but just kind of goes to how EVs are produced and made differently than internal combustion engine vehicles. So I just wanted to share it because it made me smile a little bit to see it. And I went, yeah, I would never try and do this. I don't have money to waste on a $50,000 car to try and flood or try and forward a flooded area, but it's interesting. And I'm curious what else people will find to do with it and why this is interesting and why I laughed about it is let's go back in time a little bit. Elon Musk bought the James Bond uh, submersible vehicle that was like some kind of Ferrari or whatever that turned into an underwater sub. Lotus, prop Lotus get it right, man. Lotus. Sorry, it was the Lotus. I misspoke. So he bought that and there is an Easter egg in Tesla vehicles where you can make your car appear like the Lotus submersible. So a lot of people are like, oh my God, this has to be planned. Tesla, specifically Elon Musk, loves the underwater submersible Lotus. They're totally doing this on purpose. No, I think it's just a consequence of how they seal the battery packs to make sure that no damage occurs or whatnot that just kind of gives you an ability to semi-float in water. We are not going to see the Tesla boat slash car coming anytime soon. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. Car, Tesla, car, spacecraft, boat and now submarine this is a four-in-one vehicle guys well it hasn't submarined yet it's just been boating oh well i'm just waiting for the aircraft version as well because someone's bound to do something with it soon back to the future style or hover style hover style yeah uh okay so number one i want to go ahead and comment right now that i i do firmly believe that if people are manufacturing cars and they are not sealing batteries to this degree, I think that they are making a massive mistake. I think that when we look at the the real world practical situation, we have a lot of situations where do people do suddenly find themselves with rising, you know, water quickly and things like that. And so I think that I think they've made a very good decision to seal the battery. So I do believe the excuse on the sealed battery. And I, and I absolutely would argue that any manufacturer who doesn't do that is making a mistake. With that said, I do want to ask Chris Farrell. Chris Farrell, you said that you are interested in electric cars, specifically Teslas. Is that because you would like to own one eventually? I've thought about it. It's just not practical where I live right now. I, I was kicking it around and I almost pulled the trigger on the Model 3. The problem is where I live, there's a supercharger, which is fine for topping off. But in the winter, it's just brutal on the batteries. And I live in an area where in the winter, we get a lot of snow, which arguably isn't a, t a huge problem for these Tesla vehicles on the all-wheel drive version, but the battery life right. impact is really rough. And when I go to work, I'm parked in a cold parking garage for nine to 10 hours. The batteries cool back down to ambient temperature, so they're less efficient. And it, it really turned out that if I got the, the long-range Model 3 in the winter, if I got half that range, I'd be lucky. And I said, mm -hmm. that is not at a place where I can afford to do that. Maybe no. if my workplace had plugs where I could plug in during the day, keep the battery warm, top things off. But right now I was going, man, I just, 
I can't justify the cost and the fact that I'm constantly going to be fighting this battery in the winter and then I'm going to have range anxiety because I'm like, oh my God, I have to go to the airport. But because of the weather conditions and the fact that I didn't get to top off the car, I don't know if I can make it because it's so cold. It's a problem in the Northeast. Okay, fair enough. But let's let's just pretend for a minute those concerns are alleviated. You would like to get one, right? Sure. Right. And sorry, Pioneer, for a long time, you've been saying, you know, I'm sure we'll hear about it in about 50 minutes here. Uh, you have been wanting what sort of vehicle? A 2000. A pickup truck. Right. Let's say the full name. 2000. A nondescript 4x4 full size pickup truck. GMC Sierra 4x4 crew gap. So that via that pickup truck or truck right there is not electric, correct? Not as far as right. I know. No. Right. So <laughs> what I would suggest is one day when all the cards land properly and SP gets himself his traditional truck, his non-electric truck, and Chris Farrell gets his electric vehicle. And Chris finds himself in a scenario where he's about to cross that water. I think that what SP should do is take take a page out of the old book of all the other proud non-electric vehicles and go park right in front of that water and block Chris's access. Because I heard that that's the thing you're supposed to do with electric vehicles now is block where they can go. Is that correct? Oh, but but yes, people are doing that. They call it icing certain areas. But there was a really funny video that went viral of a Tesla Model 3 that had a hitch on it and they put it on the back and connected to the back of a truck. And there's so much torque on a Model 3 that they literally just drug the truck out of the uh, Tesla parking space. Fantastic. It was pretty great. I love it. I got to look that up after. <laughs> a little Tesla sedan yanking like a F-250 equivalent truck out of a parking space. <laughs> so, Chris, I got to ask you, are the batteries within the Tesla, are they IP67 or 68 certified? I don't know enough to be able to tell you to what uh, protocols they are certified. Okay. I think you should find that out and bring it to us on a future segment on Gonna Geek. Perhaps. Have you con considered writing them and being like, hey, I'd like to review this on Gonna Geek? Yes, because I'm sure that's really going to work. You, you, go ahead and you could say that and you could you could even name drop GFQ. You'd be like, we also appear on GFQ Network with the infamous Andrew Zarian. Yes, they're going to give some random podcaster in West Virginia with 600 Twitter followers Dude, a demo you unit. don't know. They could be like, okay, this is the guy that we want testing a Tesla. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. If you believe that, I've got some beachfront property to sell you here in West Virginia. Well, maybe Suncast will make it happen because I heard that Suncast is, is the guy that makes everything happen. So Suncast, if you're listening with, with to K this right now. Yeah, either one. Suncast, if you are listening or watching this right now, we encourage you to go ahead and hook Chris up with the Tesla. Moving on to our next news point here. What's going on out of the world of SpaceX? Why are we talking about dragonflies? Is that what's going on? <laughs> We're not talking. Well, first of all, let's talk about Blue Origin. Yeah, remember that's Jeff Bezos, competitor to SpaceX. And they actually launched one of the new Shepard uh, rockets and they had the biggest mission yet. So let's review what happened. On May 2nd, 2019, Blue Origin's New Shepard spacecraft aced its 11th test mission, which had an on-crew jaunt that toted 38 science experiments, a new record for the spacecraft, not like spacecraft in general, but this particular spacecraft, to suborbital space and back. It was a 10-minute flight, and it was launched from a pad at Blue Origin's West Texas test site, and it ended with a vertical touchdown on its designated landing pad, again, on the test site. 
And the test mission was the fifth for this particular New Shepard vehicle, which launched last in January. Blue Origin representatives have said that the six-seat New Shepard could begin flying people as early as this year, which is 2019. The company has not yet divulged ticket prices, but I would wager that they'd be at least commiserate or if not higher than the $250,000 that their competitor is charging right now. Now, Blue Origin is also developing a powerful orbital rocket called New Glenn and yet another booster called New Armstrong. And the company has said little about both. Also in the works is a lunar lander known as Blue Moon. Not a Tesla Model 3? Uh, Apparently not, because Jeff Bezos doesn't own an electric car vehicle company that that I know of, does he? Yet. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay. He is the richest man in the world. So we should learn more about Blue Origin's plans for these various space projects on Thursday, May 9th, 2019, when Jeff Bezos will give a talk in Washington, D.C. that will provide a status update while sharing more about the company's vision. So a lot going on with Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin. Remember when Elon Musk with SpaceX would go to like Mexico and Australia and do the annual astronomical uh, conferences and he would talk about the future vision? Well, this is kind of what's going on with Jeff Bezos here. So we'll see what big plans he has in mind. Okay, so first off, let's just go ahead since you ruined my segue and say that the only reason Stargate Pioneer put this in here was because he didn't want me to call him negative again. And so that's why he put a positive story in here. And so let's just go, yay, Blue Origin, woo, more competition, all that good stuff, blah, 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 blah. So that we can get to the point where Stargate Pioneer talks about the one that he really wanted to talk about, which is all about how he was right and how he just wants to be all negative about space stuff. Well, we don't know much, but I've seen the video. Have you guys seen this video? The one that you sent me privately last night? Yes, I have seen that one a few times. Yes. No, I'm talking about the leaked video about the latest SpaceX capsule test that was on the test stand in Florida. Do you guys see that leaked video? I definitely leaked the video you sent me last night, but uh, I don't think we're Did talking about the same video. Did you make any money off of it? You know what? Uh, it's funny. Uh, no, I didn't. Nobody was interested. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask Chris. Chris, did you see this video about the SpaceX Dragon capsule test? Yes, I did see that. Not the video that you sent to Steve, and I have not seen that. He told me to click on it, and I refused. I, that's a good idea. So yeah. what happened was, and it's unconfirmed. I, actually, it is confirmed now, but SpaceX refused to confirm this. And and this is what I don't like about SpaceX and their their policies right now is that they refused to be open about this failure. You know when they have a failure, when a booster is landing on a ship, or that a booster falls over and they're live streaming, they just cut the feed? Well, this is what happened here, is that they refused this test video to get out. What happened, it appears, this is all my speculation, just looking at the video, and it has not been confirmed exactly what happened, but they did a test of the abort system and there's two types of rockets that they were actually testing the first ones went fine then they went to the main rocket boosters that were going to separate the capsule from the failing rocket and the whole thing i steven if you have not seen it yet the thing is obliterated in a middle second i mean the whole thing just explodes there's nothing left and the language is foul 
with the it's not suitable for work basically no. so just imagine you sitting there watching your works your your life's work at this point in time you're the hugest project you ever worked on you're looking at it and then it, it evaporates in a matter of a millisecond what are you going to say that yes there was a lot of f words a lot of s words a lot of uh, there was a lot of swearing so this was definitely not planned and the capsule is a total loss. So this is going to affect their ability to further the testing to actually get a human into space. And this goes along my thoughts about SpaceX and their safety considerations as well. Now, Elon Musk pushes a lot and he says, well, in order to win big, you have to fail big at certain points in time. With human spaceflight, you cannot. You simply cannot. And he was pushing a little bit too fast here. That's not to say that there's not going to be failures in the vehicle development phase, which is what this was. But this was unexpected and it was huge. And to get back to my first point, they're being very secretive about it. They should have been open about it. They should have said, hey, we lost the vehicle. We're looking into it. And they didn't. Okay. So what you just told me with that video is it's not safe for work. There's an explosion after a couple of minutes so after a short time that sounds a lot like that video you sent me last night that was sp plays with fire the video he exactly. made back to the future tracks down yes. his road and then at the very end was a little box of fireworks so the back of the future tracks went shh, and then poof, 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 fireworks yeah okay so joking aside I thought that the, you you maybe I misread this article. I thought they confirmed an anomaly with it. I thought they at least acknowledged it. They have they didn't actually acknowledge Finally, it a, after the video was leaked. Right, they acknowledged it, and they're going after both the government employees and the SpaceX employees for whoever might have leaked it. Whoever did is fired. Basically. Okay, so they did then because that's where I, I thought you said they didn't, but they have actually confirmed that there was an anomaly. Is that correct? They they. They weren't confirming it until the video was actually leaked. But yes, they finally okay. did a day after the leak. Okay, so as of today, the day we record this on May 6, 2019, they have actually confirmed it, right? Yes, okay. but they, they haven't said anything else about it. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because I, I thought for some reason you were saying there that they had not confirmed it and they were still dodging it. And I'm like, there's a video out there. Okay, okay. I'm glad we're on the same page here. Well, right. if you want to see super secret videos, make sure that you message Stargate Pioneer on our Discord channel, because if you've not checked it out, we have a wonderful Discord channel available at www.gunnageek.com slash Discord. Lots of fun, geeky conversation being had over there, and every individual show has a little, a little alley in our Discord server that you can go and talk all about their show. And one of the ones that has recently kicked off is the Play Comics Discord channel. So if you want to check that out or check out Play Comics, please do head over to GunnaGeek.com. GunnaGeekNetwork.com will take you right to the GunnaGeek podcast network landing. But GunnaGeek.com slash Discord will take you over to our Discord server and check out Play Comics on the GunnaGeek Network. Let's go ahead and move on to SB's Space Symposium. Alright, Pioneer. I understand that today you are going to tell us all about those dirty, dirty space videos. Is that what you're telling me about? I, you know, there's got to be some somewhere. I just, I don't have access to them, but yeah. 
I mean, there's been a couple of married couples in space, so I would assume they'd be like, hey, you know, let's let's film this just to prove it sort of thing. I don't know. It's, it's for research purposes. Is that what they're billing it out? Is that is that what it is? I, I you know, I, I've heard them talk about uh, the the flights that the married couples actually took together. And it sure seems to me that there was some of that going on. I mean, there was some privacy given the couple's when they were up there anyway we're not going to talk about that we're going to go way back to 1966 and we're going to talk about a little mission that the united states sent into space called lunar orbiter one which was the first u.s spacecraft to orbit the moon this is a series that i have been fortunate enough to be able to bring to you the guineageek.com show listener and viewer and it has lasted since episode 136 we don't do it every week and this is the 29th overall segment of the Space Symposium. We started out with space telescopes, which is my personal love. We went into orbiting probes around the Earth, the early ones, and now we're into interplanetary probes, the Lunar Orbiter 1 being one, and eventually we will get actually to landers on other planets as well. But I did a little calculation, and there is 61 total probes now on the list before we get there. And we're not there yet, guys. So this is going to last a few years. So buckle in, Score. sit tight, and have fun. This one is actually pretty cool, though, because I gave this one to Chris and Steven earlier. And I said, you guys are going to like this. And Steven took a look at it and said, yeah, I'm going to like this. This is really neat. So what this was was the first American spacecraft to orbit the moon. And it was designed primarily to photograph smooth areas of the lunar surface for selection and verification of safe landing sites for both the Apollo missions and the Surveyor missions. We talked a little bit before about the Ranger series of missions, that there were a total of nine. Well, those didn't orbit. Those actually impacted the lunar surface. They wanted to get a little bit more granularity. So the year after the last Ranger mission, they started sending up these lunar orbiter missions there were a total of five, but the first one is pretty unique because it did something, and we'll talk about it, in the mission that was not planned, but it was really neat. And that's the part that Steven really likes, too. So these orbited around the moon, Lunar Orbiter 1 specifically, in a highly elliptical orbit. So it got as close as 118 miles from the lunar surface and as far out as 1,160 miles miles this allowed for a really close look at the lunar surface and yet it could go out very far and it could spend time actually transmitting the data first developing the picture there were no digital pictures back then they were actually taking pictures develop it and then scan it and then send it back to the earth it was launched on august 10th 1966 aboard of atlas agena d rocket that was the workhorse back then of our launch rockets the mission control i think it was in NASA Langley, actually, but I, I couldn't find any actual notification and actual reference to where the mission control was for this. So it weighed at launch about 850 pounds and for you Canadians, uh, 385.6 kilograms, which is about the same as the transmission and the rear bed of a nondescript, full-sized 4x4 pickup truck. I, I like this. I like the nondescript pickup we've not, gone to. Not nondescript, yes. We are you now, see, at now this done. point, 
beggars can't be choosers. You'll just take any truck. It doesn't necessarily have to be a GMC Sierra. It could be a, a Dodge whatever, a Dodge Ram or a Chevy Silverado or a, I don't know, what's the electric one that's coming soon? Sorry, uh, for the audio listener, I prematurely walked away anticipating him saying that because uh, it's just so predictable at this point. Uh, but, you know, before we get off of this, I should definitely point out the fact that um, two years ago, this guy here predicted this when he wrote the... That's right. I wrote the Christmas special. Now, what was I predicting in the future? SP would be plugging the Fords because I knew he would get desperate eventually. No, no, no. He never said Ford. He never did. It's, it's just step one is nondescript. Step two is another manufacturer. It's a two-step process. I'm just opening it up to anybody that would want to sponsor me on the GunnaGeek.com show giving the Space Symposium. Well, you know it's what? It's a bidding war. Chris is going to get his Tesla. You'll get your, oh, your whatever you're looking for your nondescript truck of some form. Nondescript 4x4. Four four. Yeah, it's probably a, a Crew cab. 1995 so, Datsun or something. If it's free and if it works, okay. Mm, enjoy your enjoy your Datsun. It's got to be new though. Oh, it can't, it can't, don't be not, I don't want the pre-owned crap. <laughs> All right. All so right. so you were uh, what's the point of this? Where are we going with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> it weighed as much as the transmission and the rear bed of a full-size 4x4 pickup truck. That's how much this weighed that we launched into orbit and then up into lunar orbit. Now, the space bus itself, so that's the spacecraft without any peripherals like antennas or solar panels, it was about 1.65 meters tall and 1.5 meter in diameter at the base. And it was, it's basically, I mean, it's got a round base, but it does have kind of a squarish look to it. And it had four solar panels that were mounted and, and swung out, and they had a total span across of 3.72 meters. So it generated a lot of power. And why did it need all this power? Because it was using a 150-pound Eastman Kodak imaging system. It developed the exposed film, it scanned the film, and then it actually sent the image in the scan back to the Earth. And the article that I read about this said in a twist that was not known until the end of the Cold War, the Eastman Kodak camera flown on the lunar orbiters was originally developed by the National Reconnaissance Office and flown on the Samos E-1 spy satellite. So this is basically a spy camera that did, went off and did lunar exploration. So that's pretty Sweet. cool. That's I've awesome. got a picture in the show doc, and I would very appreciate Stephen if he would link it in the show notes later. It and will this be. Thing, this thing looks sweet. It, it is basically you taking your Tinker Toy set and wrapping it around a camera and trying to find <laughs> something that's going to do all this work. It's really not. This is early space exploration, 1966. I had to operate all autonomously, no human in the loop. So it's really great the way they did this. Now, here's the real sweet part that Steven liked about this. So did I, as a matter of fact. There was an unplanned event that happened during this mission. And it was on August 23rd, the spacecraft was reoriented. So it wasn't looking down at the moon. And there was controversy about this because everybody was like, what if we can't get it back? It's, I mean, stuff failed all the time back then. What if it's stuck in this position? We're going to be screwed on our original mission. They're like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this. So what wasn't originally planned is they slewed it up. And you know that picture from Apollo 8 that has taken from the Apollo 8 camera 
as the capsule was coming around the dark side and it was coming back up and it was looking at the earth it's called the earth rise the original earth rise was actually 1966 and it was a lunar orbiter it took a black and white what was a black and white picture because they couldn't scan and, and send color took a black and white picture of the earth on the earth rise now what's really neat is there was a data recovery effort that was done a few years ago they actually got a hold of the last remaining tapes that had the received data from lunar orbiter one and they restored the photo to what it was supposed to be now the the actual photo came out and it's kind of grainy and scan marked and everything and they that was a big pr thing so they gave it to senators and congressmen and anybody who they thought would be able to help their cause in their budget to help the space program it was a real selling point in 1966 and it's great that it happened back then they used it as public relations again in the 2000s they went ahead and they did the data restoration so they said okay this is actually the first earth rise the first picture of earth that was taken from lunar orbit so that was great and that was on august 23rd 1966 and you can find all of the restored images, including the uh, over the course of the five satellite mission, there was a total of like 99% of the lunar surface that was actually captured on camera. And you can go back to the restoration recovery project and see all this data of what the moon looked like in 1966. That was before we started bombarding it. <laughs> left and right <laughs> i mean we'd already done that a little bit with the soviet missions and with the early um uh, ranger missions but it, it is interesting to see all that data so yeah you can get all that data as well now so the five total spacecrafts to the moon to uh, cost a total amount of 163 million dollars in then dollars and you can find an engineering model of the lunar orbiter one in the Smithsonian, in the Stephen F. Uz, uh, Udvar Hazi Center, which is in Chantilly, Virginia, right outside of Dulles Airport. So you can go and Boy, see that. Say that name three times fast. That's tough. I can never say that. I've been there before, and I, I just can never say that stupid name. But it, it's the annex that's out by Dulles Airport. And so you can see the satellite there. There's actually a map of where it's hanging if you need to see it. it there's a map of everything you just go to their website and search whatever object you're looking for and it will show you where it's actually there so steven what a photography experiment this is so cool when you send this to me and we definitely will have the links in there if you want to check this out at gonna uh i can only imagine the excitement that went through that room when someone first saw that picture of earth being sent back like it is so unbelievably yeah like i don't know when i look at it i can just feel the history and people just hovering over this picture going oh my god look what we got you know and just just being totally mind blown and i think that it's really really cool especially because someone had to make that that decision to take a chance like you said and get off of the original mission and look at this it's a piece of history it's fantastic it's really cool and if you you need take a pause right now on the show and take a look at it because it really is a piece of history and i love every every second of it and it's cool that you know with all of these missions we were able to capture so much of the moon 
way way back then i i love it uh I, I think it's great and these are the type of things that i really like this was getting ready for the moon landings and we took a lot of close pictures that we could to decide where to land the apollo missions it, it just didn't happen people this was a decade-long decision of how can we get them to the moon? And then once we get them to the moon, how are we going to land them? And where are we going to land them? What's more scientifically important for us to get there? What's safer for us to get down there and get back? All important stuff. And it still happens today when we're deciding where to throw our rovers. And it will happen in the future when we go back to the moon and we eventually go to Mars. Well, thank you very much for talking about this today. It's great. It's always nice to know a piece of history. Again, uh, you know, it's really easy to forget these sort of things. We take a lot of a lot of the efforts for granted, given how far we've come in such a short time as, as a, a world population. The next time is going to be interesting because it's going to be the first time that we kissed another planet. Oh, my. That sounds like those dirty videos I was talking about earlier. <laughs> a little bit, I guess. It's Venera oh. 4. It was in 1967 and was the first spacecraft to enter another planet's atmosphere. And I'm going to leave it up to your imagination which planet that is. Wow. Which, by the way, fun fact, uh, SP said that through all, all of our these missions, they were able to capture 99% of the lunar surface. That video he sent me last night captured 99% of his lunar surface. So there you go. Echoing your comments that I was supposed to say last time when I was gone, we hate you, Stephen. Perfect. Awesome. See, I told you my last week. Check it out. Episode number 285. I did a spot on Stargate Pioneer impression. Should go ahead and compare the two. Spot on. But that's going to go ahead and take us towards the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I just want to take a moment to allow my wonderful co-hosts here, Stargate Pioneer and Chris Farrell, to plug and promote and do whatever they'd like to do. It's awesome having you as co-host on here. So the least that I can do is go ahead and turn it over to you each week so that you can plug and promote or whatever. Let's start off with Chris Farrell. So just a friendly reminder, we do like to stream a lot of live shows here over at Gunna Geek. So if you head on over to geeks.live and if you're watching this live, you're probably there right now. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. You'll see the calendar of all of our upcoming live events. So please feel free to come check out some of the other live shows and tell them that we sent you. Stargate Pioneer. You can be a little selfish and say recently we on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. released and published an episode number 280 about that wonderful Avengers Endgame movie. You know, the record breaker one that's out there that's going to hopefully get to 3 billion and uh, upset uh, on seat Avatar as the number one movie ever. And we did that on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 280. All four of us were there. And we talked for two hours on the subject, which is still shorter than the movie runtime, by the way. So yeah. if you want to catch yeah. that, catch it at legendsofshield.com, which will bring you to the gunnageek.com website. And that will be the first episode that come, pops up right now. And you know what? Even though he's saying that he's being selfish and plugging his own thing, I want to out him right now. He is actually being modest because today, the day that we record this on Monday, May 6th, he, he, him and the rest of the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. crew were indeed featured in an article by the wonderful, the fantastic, happy to recommend them, podcast host, Podbean. They had a little article talking about some different uh, Marvel podcasts that they knew about. And Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not on Podbean. No, they host actually on a different competitor. But Podbean still went ahead and highlighted them as a podcast on Marvel. So I want to go ahead and acknowledge that right now. I think that's really cool. You should be proud of that. 
all, everybody over on the show. You should all be very proud of that. You've worked very hard on that show and uh, definitely pat yourselves on the back. So I'm going to go ahead and out you right now. Oh, thanks. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise to wake up to. I actually got an email that came in in the middle of the night and it was like, hey, look, you're featured. I was like, oh, OK, that's pretty cool. So the competition uh, that I competition in quotes, by the way, because nobody does exactly <laughs> what we do. But it, the competition, it, it was great to be a part of all their shows because I've listened to all their shows at one time or another. I, I'm not a subscriber to any of them just because I don't have time too but yeah it's great to be included in their company in that article so on that note let's go ahead and wrap it up so for episode 286 of the official geek.com show i'm steven john drew saying you've heard of chris taps that app look forward to chris taps that tesla i'm chris farrell saying i hope sp gets his nondescript 4x4 crew cab pickup truck and i'm sp saying i kissed a planet and i liked it you stole Ooh. that from the chat room. I'm out you again. Bye. There's no proof of that. I like There's it. no proof. No proof at all. Just don't look at the lower half of this frame if you're watching the video side of things. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of The Story Behind Podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. 